Yehuda Gaber with uh, another Jewish History Soundbites podcast. And uh, being that it's Maitzi Shabbos, by the time you listen to it, it might be Sunday already, but um, it's in honor of Maitzi Shabbos Sunday. Um, there's a custom amongst Hasidim to tell over stories of the Baal Shem Tev on Maitzi Shabbos. We started uh, before Shavuos, it was his yard site. Um, last week, and um, promised a third part, and I did not want to, uh, you know, uh, back out of a promise. In honor of Maitzi Shabbos, we'll, you know, wrap up what I started with the first two um, parts of the Baal Shem Tov. And there's a well-known zgula amongst in Hasidic circles that if you say stories about the Baal Shem Tev and Maitzi Shabbos, it's a sgula for Yeres Shemayim. But the old Hasidim of yesteryear used to say three lav dafkas about that statement. And it's the famous three lav dafkas of Hasidus. That when you talk about a sgula, that it's a sgula on Maitzi Shabbos to say stories about the Baal Shem Tev to get Yeres Shemayim, there's three lav dafkas. Avdafka number one is that it's not just on Maitzi Shabbos, it's any time you say the stories. And the second Avdafka is that it's not just about the Baal Shem Tov, it's about any of the great tzaddikim of Hasidus, or any tzaddikim. And the third Avdafka is it's not a zgula just for Yeres Shemayim, it's a zgula for all kinds of wonderful things in Ruchnius and in Gashmius. So using the concept of the three love dafkas, whenever we listen to these stories and whenever this podcast reaches you, we'll be uh, part of this great and holy custom of saying over stories about the Baal Shem Tev and his world and what it was all like. And it will wrap up our, our discussion of the Baal Shem Tev and early Hasidus that I began uh, in honor of his yard site on Shavuos. And really in this third part, I want to more go into the world, of the, the inner world, the spiritual world of the Baal Shem Tev, and less about the historical context, which, which I touched on in the earlier uh, podcasts. And it's especially since also it's, 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 uh, it's Maitzi Shabbos, a little more light, uh, lighter uh, topic. And, and um, we'll bring out what, what really the atmosphere was surrounding the Baal Shem Tev and the early Hasidim. The Hasidim stressed, and many people who research Hasidus uh, stress, is that there was nothing really so much no, new about the Baal Shem Tev's agenda. It was, it was how they brought it out. And uh, interesting that Martin Buber, who was the great Jewish philosopher, German Jewish philosopher, who was exposed to, because he wasn't religious, he was exposed to Hasidus in Galicia at a young age, and he entered this incredibly... Um, romanticized Hasidus the rest of his life and wrote quite a bit about it. And he he said something that, that has a certain truth to it. I'm not sure how much um, I would completely accept it as a generalization. It's a little too much of a generalization. But he said, first of all, that Hasidim is, Hasidus is Kabbalism turned ethos. In other words, taking the world of Kabbalah and making it as a way of life, as a way of life for the masses. And he said it even better a different time. He said, Hasidus is a mysticism which hallows community and everyday life. In other words, the Baal Shem Tev taught 
how to take everything simple, everyday life, things that are that are just very uh, you know uh, out of rote and 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 things that you would not attribute to be major fundamental in your avodas Hashem in your in your holiness and make it holy. Bring out the mysticism, bring out the Kabbalah, bring out the inner spirit of Yiddishkeit in what you're doing. And therefore, a lot of what Hasidus is about is the atmosphere. I always say over, it's really about the Chayz of Lublin, who's already the third and fourth generation of uh, Hasidus. But he was one of the earliest ones who wrote his own Torah down. And when eventually it was finally published, after he died, he himself did not publish it. Uh, Zeiss Zikarin and Zikarin Zeiss and another safer, third safer, he, he, the, the, they never became bestsellers. Uh, they never um, became um, fundamental, uh, monumental works in Hasidus. They're learned, they're studied for sure, but that's not what the Chayzeh was all about. The Chayzeh was all about was going to the Chayzeh of Lublin and basking in his presence and hearing from him and being there in his chatzar at his tish. And uh, to, 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 to say it how his Talmud, his student, his chassid, Reb Uri of Strelisk, said about the Chayzeh, he said he talked about the Aliyah Leregel to the Chayzeh of Lublin. And when you talk about Aliyah Leregel, we know Aliyah Leregel is going up to Yerushalayim. And yet the early Hasidim talked about going to the Tzaddik, to going to the Heiliger Rebbe's of those days as Aliyah Leregel, as going up to the, to the Rebbe. And that's exactly how Reb Uri of Strelisk describes it. He says when you're going to Lublin, then, then Lublin is like Eretz Yisrael. The Chatzar of the Chayzeh is like Yerushalayim. The Beis Medrash of the Chayzeh is like the Har Habayis. The Dira of the Chayzeh is like the Heichal. The Heichal where, where, uh, where the, where the main, main room of the Beis HaMikdash. And the room where the Chayzeh is is like the Kodesh HaKadoshim. And then he finishes off, V'hashchino medaberes mitoich groinoi. And the Shechina emits, speaks from his mouth, as Yavin Marabenu. And then, if you understand this, you'll understand what does it mean to come to the Tzaddik, to come to the Chayzeh of Lublin. Now, it's a very, very um, outspoken approach here. Raburi Yisraelisk is really describing his awe that he has for the Chayzeh of Lublin. But really, what he's, what he's expressing here is the atmosphere surrounding the Chayzeh. And, and therefore, it's not something that you can get out from the text, from his, from his Torah, from his books. When you study it, you get a taste of it. And of course, learning Hasidus is an integral part of, of connecting to Hasidus. And many people do that and involve themselves in it. But it's, it's, it's all about the daily life, the, 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 the uh, experience, the, the going and connecting, the being there, the hearing it, the singing and the dancing together and um, many other aspects of it. And that's the same could be said about the Baal Shem Tov himself. And um, to, to elaborate on that point, the, the, um, the Alter Rebbe, the Balatanya, Rabbi Shneir Zalman of Liadi, used to describe what was, what was going on with Hasidus. Again, what we said is that he took Pneumia Satira, the inner spirit of Judaism, the Kabbalism turned ethos. He took it down and brought it to the masses and brought it to and brought it to daily life. So in a certain way, he brought it down. You know, it was the, 
the Kabbalah was holy, it was, it was hidden away, it was only for the elite few, and here um, they're bringing it out, they're spreading it. All right, like he, he got the response from Mashiach, Yafutsu Chutza, spread your Torah, spread your ideas around. And that's what the Baal Shem Tov starts to do. And there was a dispute amongst the students of the Baal Shem Tov, how far to take that, or if Pinchas of Karutz said, not so much, we can't spread it, these are lofty ideas, these are mystical ideas, they're very holy and delicate, and we have to be careful who we teach it to, and it's not for everybody. And the Magad of Mizrich said, no, Yafutsu Chutza, we have to spread it around. And the Alter Rebbe used to describe this, this idea of spreading the light of the Baal Shem Tov Hasidus with a beautiful mushal. And the, the uh, last uh, Lubavitcher Rebbe, the last Rebbe of Chabad, used to say this over at Fabrengens. He used to say this over at Hasidic, Hasidic gatherings. That this is the Torah of the Baal Shem Tov. And the Alter Rebbe said that there was a king who had a crown. And the king's crown, the beauty of the crown was this beautiful diamond, this beautiful stone at this as the centerpiece. Everything else about the crown was uh, stood in, in, in the shadows of this center, massive, beautiful stone. That was the whole entire yoifi. That was the beauty of this crown. And what happened was, is that the son of the king became sick. And uh, the doctor said, we, uh, we don't know what to do. We don't know how to heal him. We don't know how to how to heal him, how, what's going to make him better. And they tried all kinds of things, and they said there is one way to make him feel better. If you grind up a certain type of stone, a certain type of diamond, and you mix it into a drink in a certain way, then, and if he drinks that, he succeeds in drinking it, then he may get better. What was that stone? It was that centerpiece stone. So the king says, well, we can't destroy the crown. If we take that stone and grind it up, then... Then, uh, then nothing's going to remain of the crown. What's the point? The whole beauty of the crown is in that stone, and the whole malchus, the whole kingdom, the whole kingship that I have is represented in the crown. So, so we can't do it. The boy gets sicker and sicker and sicker. And finally, the king says, let's grind up the stone. And the people from the kingdom, they say, how are you going to grind up the stone? You're going to lose the crown. You're going to lose the stone and the beauty of the crown, and then the, there's no crown, and the whole crown is going to look ugly, and, 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 and what the whole expression of your kingship is through this crown. We know that the crown jewels are held uh, by, the, by the kings and queens of England only by their coronation. The special crown jewels, they're under lock and key, special alarm systems, they come all the way back from King Charles following the, the uh, English Civil War in the 1600s. They were hidden away, and they got back, and uh, they're only taken out for these special occasions because the beauty of the crown is, is, shows what the whole kingship is all about. So how can you go ahead and give it to, to your son? So he says, the king says very sadly, he says, you're right, but if my son dies, then there's no king after me. I need to keep my son alive so that the kingdom continues, that the kingship continues. So if there's no, and the way they said it was, if there's no son of a king, then what do you need to have the whole crown for? The whole point of the crown is that the ben melech, is that this, this prince should be able to wear it one day. And we have to grind up the stone and put it into this drink and maybe one drop will get into his mouth and he'll succeed in surviving, he'll succeed in living and it's worth it to destroy the crown just so that the ben melech should survive. And that's the explanation of what we got with Hasidus. 
is that the Baal Shem Tov is looking at a world that the Ben Melech was dying. And the only way to save the Ben Melech was to take the beauty out of the crown and to bring it and grind it up and feed it to us and put it down our throats so that we have this spirit, we have this beauty of the crown within us, even if it's going to ruin the beauty of the crown, even if it's going to be not there for the select few, for the elite, it has to belong to everyone at this point because that's what's going to keep us going throughout the bitter and dark and long exile. And that's exactly what he was trying to do. He was trying to bring out that beauty, bring it down to people. His emphasis was in davening and how to serve Hashem better. The Alter Rebbe used to say that the, Alter, that the Baal Shem Tov taught us how to daven. And in, in one of the stories involves his davening. He was davening with his, with his uh, Chabura people. One of the only writings we have of the Baal Shem Tov is a letter he wrote to his brother, Lord Gershon Kittaver. And we have the response that Ergershon Kittiver wrote to him. And Ergershon Kittiver had already moved to Yerushalayim, and he was lonely. There were not many Ashkenazim living in Eretz Yisrael in general, and especially not in Yerushalayim. And he was lonely. And he says to the Baal Shem Tov, I wish you would join me here. And he knew that the Baal Shem Tov thought of moving to Eretz Yisrael. Baal Shem Tov never made it. And there's all kinds of uh, um, hypotheses of why he didn't, but we really don't know why he didn't make it. And the Bibgarshan Kitavir writes it, but I know that you can't come to Eretz Yisrael because you can't leave your minion. It's very important for you to daven with your group of guys and you have a special davening. So we know that he had a group of people that he davened with and we know that that davening was very, very powerful and ecstatic and special. And he was once davening with everyone. And he's davening and davening and davening. He goes into some sort of vacus. And uh, people finish davening, and they're waiting, and he's not finishing. So they go out, you know, they go out, who knows, they go out to schmooze, to learn, to, to smoke. To, you know, the Baal to himself used to smoke a pipe. It's part of the, part of the aura around him. And, and, the, and, the, uh, and they wait till he's finished. A few minutes after they go out, the Baal appears at the door, and he's very upset. He says, where are you? Where, what happened? I'm waiting for you guys. He says, What happened? I thought you were davening. We thought you had at least we had at least another hour till you were finished. So we went outside, and you finished five minutes later. What happened? You cut your davening short today, Rebbe. Why'd you do that? And he said, "Do you think that I'm in this myself? That I'm some sort of mad magician that knows how to daven and reach special high places when I daven?" He says, "We're a chabura. We're doing this together, and it's only on the strength of all our tefillahs together, and us being in the room together, and us wanting to connect to Hashem together, that I'm able to get to these places. And if you guys all leave, then I can't do it myself. So I finished davening very quickly because I was not able to reach any higher place and special place after you guys all left the room. And that was exactly the idea. It wasn't about him reaching special places on his own. It was about him lifting up the people around him." the people, and teaching them how to open up their eyes. One of the stories that, the, that took place with the Baal Shem Tov and his group and his Chabura, and he taught us how to look at the mundane in life and lift it up, was that it was a cold, wintry night, and the wind was blowing, and especially when we tell this in Mezhebej, when we go out to the Ukraine and see what the towns look like there, and when we rig the groups there, this story becomes alive. It's hard to imagine this story in the middle of the summer in New York or in Yerushalayim, but uh, we'll have to do it on a trip one day. And, um, and the Baal Shem Tov is sitting with his chavraya, with his group, and all of a sudden the door is thrown open, and a Ukrainian peasant bursts in, and he says, my wagon is stuck, and I can't schlep it out of the snow. Can you guys help me come take it out of the snow? And they look at him, and they say, what do you want from us? We're a bunch of 
weak shvacha Jews. There's nine feet snowdrifts outside, and it's a heavy wagon. How are we supposed to pull it out? You have to find, you have to go to the tavern where there's other Ukrainian peasants, big, strong, tough people. They can help you out. There's nothing we can do. We'd love to help you. It's not that we don't want to. We want to. We really want to. But we can't. And he doesn't accept this explanation. After arguing with them for a few minutes, he gets very frustrated. He yells at them in Russian, and he says, you can, you just don't want to. You can, you just don't want to. And he leaves. And the Baal Shem Tev, who had been talking big chasidis, big hoicha things, big tremendously high and holy stuff, until that minute, he all of a sudden is quiet. And after a few minutes, he starts saying in Russian. Until that point, he had obviously been speaking in Yiddish. He says, he repeats those words in Russian that the Ukrainian peasant had said. He said, you can, you just don't want to. And he repeats it again and again and again. You can, you just don't want to. And he says, how many times do we sell ourselves short? How many times do we say, I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't do this, whatever it is in life that we're trying to accomplish, a family or work or ruchnius or davening, whatever it is, each person on his own. And he says, we can, we just don't want to. And he says, we have to realize that we could and we have to believe in ourselves and how much potential we have. But the idea of this story is not just a lesson because the framework of this podcast is history, not divrei Torah. We're not trying to tell you divrei Torah here. We're trying to teach you stories and I'm trying to give you the context of who the Baal Shem Tev was. The idea is not just the lesson that he said. And it's a powerful lesson. It could be a life-changing lesson. I'm not minimizing that. But I want to say much more than that is that where did the Baal Shem Tev take that lesson from? He took it out from a chance encounter with a Ukrainian peasant that was not supposed to happen, that interrupted his session. And yet the Baal Shem Tev sees something there that there's something to learn from. The Baal Shem Tev said nothing happens because everything is filled with elikus, everything is godliness. And everything that happens and everything that occurs, no matter how mundane it may seem, no matter how chayil it may seem, but you can make it holy. Hashem is sending it to you for a reason because Hashem is hidden in there, in that. And there's a Ukrainian peasant that comes and interrupts you. So obviously there's something to learn from that. And the Chavetz Chaim takes the Russian words that he said and makes it a life-changing moment. Because the Baal Shem Tov's lesson, and this is the lesson of Hasidus, is that we should take everything in life and try to lift it up. And that's a little bit, a little taste of the world of the Baal Shem Tov in early Hasidus. And that wraps up that topic. We'll get back to it with other uh, periods of later Hasidus at a future time. This was Yehuda Geberer. You can reach me at ygebss at gmail.com for, for questions, comments, sources, or to arrange tours to see these amazing places and feel the atmosphere that still uh, permeates these areas. Subscribe now to Jewish History Soundbites on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. Don't miss an episode of these podcasts. If you enjoy, give a good rating, share it with your friends and family. Follow us on Twitter at JSoundbites, and I hope you enjoy.